Well, if you're new or visiting, we're glad you're here. My name's Tyler. I'm one of the pastors here at the Austin Stone. Uh, we're actually in our last week of our series entitled God Loves. God Loves. And I, I really, really hope that these last couple of weeks have been a time for the love of God to really uh, cement in your mind and in your heart. And also, I really hope that, if you're, especially if you're newer, I hope that you've gotten a sense of the kind of church we want to be, the kind of people we want to be. I hope this hasn't just been what the leadership of the Austin Stone wants. I hope it's been what we all collectively say. We want to pursue the God who loves us like this. And so last week, we looked at God loves relationships, specifically singleness, dating, and marriage. This Sunday, we're going to do kind of part two of that, and we're looking specifically at dating, at dating. And I wanted to spend an entire Sunday on dating because so many of you in this room uh, this is the stage of life that you're in. So if, if you're here and you're thinking, I'm already married, should I leave now or later? Like, what's the best time to do that? Or, or maybe, honestly, you, you have a distinct calling to singleness. Um, I want you to know God has a word for you today, too. Let, let's not be the people where we only listen to Jesus when he says our name. We're like, until you hear my name, I'll be quiet. Like, like you, you should be listening to whatever Jesus has to say, even if it's not about you um, directly, because sometimes God, listen, gives you words to help other people. So you know that. Not everything in the Bible is always directly about you. Sometimes he's telling you something so you can go serve and help somebody else. And all of you are gonna have friends who are gonna go through dating and gonna want wisdom. And I think God has wisdom to gain from his word today. So before we get into dating, it's a really, really quick intro. You need to know this. There's no section of scripture that deals with dating explicitly, Okay. But listen, that doesn't mean dating is somehow wrong. Don't, don't have the mentality that if it's not in the Bible, it must be wrong, okay? Traffic lights aren't in the Bible. That doesn't make them wrong, right? And just like traffic lights, so, so, so traffic lights are something that we use in our society. We go, hey, that's the best way to organize a transportation system in a city. Any city planners here? Amen. That, that's what we do, right? But does every society use them? No. Are they in the Bible? No. Does it make them bad? No. And, and in the same way, dating... Does every society do dating the way we do it? No. Is it in the Bible? No. Does it make it bad? No. Dating is the way you get to know someone in our cultural context to see if you want to spend the rest of your lives with them. Now, I know some people in our context, our society, they date perpetually. I know that we, people date with different motivations and intentions, but for the most part, we could probably agree in our society, people uh, typically date before they marry. Now, when it comes to dating, we tend to uh, swing from extreme to extreme. What I mean is this, some of us over here, what we want more than anything is freedom and flexibility. We want freedom and flexibility. We don't wanna feel restrained. And then what happens, we end up being too thoughtless and aimless in our dating because we're saying, I wanna feel free over everything even at the expense of wisdom, while others of us, we want to feel like we're doing dating right. We wanna feel like we're doing it right, so we create these rules and expectations, and they're from our experiences and our culture, and they feel moral, they feel like they're from the Bible, even though they're not. And what we want on this side is we wanna feel secure, even at the expense of grace and freedom. And so what happens, you go to the Bible, you'll get security, but sometimes not in the ways that you want. You go to the Bible, you'll get freedom, but sometimes not in the way that you want. And what the Bible gives, all, uh, gives to all of us is clarity. The Bible gives you is it gives you clarity. There's no verses about dating explicitly, but the Bible has a lot to say. So I want to kind of have three kind of big buckets here. When it comes to dating, God gives you three things. He gives you parameters to operate within. He gives you principles of wisdom to live by, and he gives you hope in all of it. Parameters to live within, 
principles to live by, and hope in all of it. I'm gonna spend the vast majority of the time today on the principles to live by. So first, parameters. God gives us parameters. There are very clear biblical truths that define the boundaries for dating. So I had so much more time on this, but I didn't want the sermon to go forever, so I cut a lot of this. But here's the thing, I want you to know there's four parameters in the scriptures when it comes to dating that act as fences to show you where faithfulness is. And the kingdom of God, here's where faithfulness is found in this, in, in, within these boundaries, this is where faithfulness to God is found in dating. Here's the four things. Singleness is a gift to devote to the gospel. Truth number one. Truth number two. Marriage is a gift to display the gospel. Okay? Number three, sexual expression is a gift of intimacy for marriage. And four, common faith in Jesus is non-negotiable for marriage. When you look at the scriptures, these four things are clear. I wanna say so many things right here, but we can't. But faithfulness to God in your dating means operating within these boundaries. Now listen, praise God, there's grace when you fail. There's grace when singleness or marriage doesn't feel like a gift. There's grace when you express your sexuality outside of marriage. There's grace even when you're dating someone who doesn't share your faith in Jesus or you're married to someone who doesn't share your faith in Jesus. There's grace upon grace for God's people. But these are the parameters for which God says, here's where life is found, right? Now, if you have questions about those, we have all sorts of resources we we can recommend to you. But you have to start there. Those are the parameters God sets out in his word. But what you're gonna find is within that, there's a lot of space to operate. Second, principles, principles. So the scriptures don't talk about dating a lot, but the scriptures talk about relationships a lot. And specifically, discernment in relationships. So discernment is this, it's what do you do when it's not a moral decision? What do you do when it's not black and white? What do you do when it's gray and God's word hasn't told you what to do? Discernment is figuring out what's the best decision giving there's no clear right and wrong. So I wanna give you a definition of how God defines for his people what I think dating should look like. Here's what it is. Dating is discerning. Dating is discerning if God wants you to love this person above everything other than him. Dating is discerning if God wants you to love that person, not any person, that person, above everything other than him. It's discerning, it's discerning. It can be fun and it can be thoughtful at the exact same time. You don't have to have this intense, pressurized view of dating, but it also shouldn't be aimless either. You don't have to come to a conclusion on the very first date or interaction, right? You don't have to watch the way they eat their food the first date and you're like, never, 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 never. My second date with Lauren, I have never eaten more clean in my entire life. I was like, oh yeah, really? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like I've never been more aware of how I ate. Now I'm like, Rawr, I don't care, right? But you don't have to make the decision off the first interaction, but you also want to be intentional and overtly pursue clarity. Dating is meant to be a process you go through, not a destination where you stay. It's a process you're going through, not a destination where you stay. It's meant to have a clear beginning, middle, and end. The person you're dating, they should know that you're dating, right? If you think you're dating and they don't think you're dating, that's called stalking, that's what that is, okay? It's not dating, okay? But there should be a clear beginning, middle, and end. And it should end either breaking up 
or an engagement and in marriage, okay? It's discerning this. But how in the world do you navigate all the ambiguity in that? How do you navigate all the lack of clarity? And in the church, and if you're new to church, just just buckle up for this. In the church, it can be more complicated because we tend to moralize our opinions. In the church, we tend to moralize our opinions and we moralize our own stories. And in the church, it's all like the, the dating proverbs we use. So proverbs like this, like, won't you stop looking for a spouse? That's when you find them. You're like, what? So don't look, but look, exactly. You're like, I don't get it. Here's the one that's always used, always used. You know what you do? You just run hard after the Lord. Get your head down, look at the Lord, and then you look to your right and your left, you marry that person. You're like, but what if I'm not looking at me? Doesn't matter, you're married right now. That's how it works. And you're like, what? I, and you're, like, you're like, okay, I get it. Run after Jesus, but then what do I do when they don't want to date me? They're like, then you just give up. I, I, I don't know, right? It's all these sort of uh, proverbs that we tell people who are dating. And then here's the thing. Everyone has their tips of what you should do, and then nobody does them. It's crazy to me how many healthy, godly, uh, married couples you'll talk to, and you hear their story of how they got together, and you're like, that's pretty shady. That's pretty shady how this whole thing worked out. You're like, how many people were you dating at the time? Four, yeah, within four people. You're like, I feel like, and their counsel is, don't do it the way we did it. You're like, I don't know what to do now because it turns out if I run for the Lord, I may not find anybody and you did it the worst possible way and it worked out, right? And so what happens is then you're, you're dating and you're like, what am I supposed to do in all of this? And when it comes to all this confusion, here's what we all tend to want in, in all of life, but especially in dating, we tend to want rules that guarantee outcomes when God gives us principles of wisdom to live by. We really want, give me the rule that tells me this will happen. And in relationships, God often says, live by his wisdom and you'll gain clarity in the process. Because the wisdom of God are paths to walk down and live out over time. It's not a checklist you do once. You don't just go to the Bible and read it once and get wisdom, that's not how it works. Is you saturate your life with the scriptures and they begin to give you wisdom. You don't just pray once, God may give you wisdom, but it's saturating your life in that and you walk down the path of God and his ways and you begin to gain clarity. Wisdom is a way of life that produces clarity in your decision-making, okay? So think of it this way. God's wisdom in your decision-making in all of life, but in your discerning, in your dating, God's wisdom works the same way a lighthouse helps a ship. Now we're all seafaring people in this room. You guys get this analogy perfectly, okay? So lighthouses, lighthouses, they don't tell captains exactly what to do. Lighthouses don't answer every specific question, right, left, faster, slower, what should I do? No, what do they do? Lighthouses cut through the fog and they cut through the darkness to show you what's there. It shines a light to show you what's there. They give you vision into the state of the port, the state of your ship, the state of the water, and the best path to arrival. Does a lighthouse make every decision easy with no pressure? No. No, it doesn't. What it does is it helps you know the decisions that you're making. It helps you know, okay, if I turn left, that's what that means. If I turn right, that's what that means. And now you know the pros and cons of what you're deciding. But without the lighthouse, the fog and the darkness overwhelm you and you don't know what you're doing. You're making decisions with no understanding of the implications of them. 
And when you don't have the, wis- the wisdom of God to cut through the fogginess of your background and your heart and your emotions and your dreams, then it's really hard to see the decisions that you're making. So what I wanna do, I wanna give you four wisdom principles when it comes to dating, and all of the principles are geared around knowledge. You, listen, you can't discern without knowledge. You need to learn in order to discern. That just rhyme? I made that up. I don't know. That sounds good. Okay. You can't discern, think rightly about who to date and how to date without growing in knowledge of each. The, the Proverbs eighteen fifteen. listen to this. The book of wisdom, Proverbs. The mind of the discerning acquires knowledge. The mind of the discerning acquires knowledge and the ear of the wise seeks it. You have to acquire knowledge and seek it in order to gain discernment in your dating relationships. So here are the four areas of knowledge that you need. Know God, know self, know them, know others. Know God, know self, know them, know others. And for each of those categories right there, recognize that you probably won't ever know everything about any one of them. God's infinite, you'll never know everything about him. You'll know him truly. It's something you have to grow in. Even yourself, aren't you learning things about yourself all the time you didn't know? About the person you're dating, you're gonna keep learning about them. The idea is you have to keep growing in these areas. It's not a checklist, it's a pursuit, okay? So for each category, I'm gonna give you just one verse. I can give you a lot more. I'm gonna give you one verse and we're gonna dive into it, okay? First one, first step, know God. Here's the verse, Proverbs 1.7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Remember the connection between knowledge and discernment. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom. The idea of this verse is that for you to discern what's best, God has to be the controlling center of your life. To fear the Lord above all is to have him be the controlling center of your life. So listen, if you fear being single more than you fear being without God's presence, you won't see clearly. If you fear the responsibility and commitment of marriage more than you fear living in a way that dishonors God, you won't see clearly. If you idolize marriage as a false God who will solve all of your emotional and relational and sexual problems more than you worship God as the only one who can truly satisfy your soul, you won't be able to see clearly. The point of this text is not that fear is wrong, One of this text is that fear is right when it's pointed in the right direction. When it's pointed in the right direction. Fear has this way of heightening your senses when it's used rightly, or it can blind your senses when it's used wrongly. So fear can heighten your senses. So it can act as a purifier that cuts through everything to show you what's most important. This summer, I took my kids on hikes in Colorado I were hiking in Colorado, it was a blast with them. And my kids are eight, five, and three, so they're having a great time. They're running around, they're, they're dancing, they're singing, they're twirling, and they're being, and, and honestly, they're being silly and wise at the same time, you can be both. But there are times when they are getting dangerously close to the edge of a cliff, and they're just spinning in circles, you know? And so when I see them as their dad, I see they're in danger and they don't realize it. So what do I do? I use my dad voice, go, hey, like that, and kind of perk them up. And I want, I listen, I want them to be scared when I say that, why? Because fear can cut through silliness to see what's going on. Fear heightens their senses. They go, okay, dad just yelled, I hear him. What's going on? Oh, there's a cliff a thousand feet. I should move this way, right? 
but it heightened their senses because it was fear pointed in the right direction. But fear pointed in the wrong direction can paralyze you and blind you to reality. So when I was dating Lauren, my biggest fear when we were dating, my biggest fear was that I would never be wanted romantically by somebody else. You ready for counseling session time? That's what this is, okay? But it goes all the way back to when I was a little boy. I can remember this fear of not of someone never wanting me. And so this fear oftentimes would be more than I feared God. And so what it would do, it would blind me to every time Lauren was kind to me. Every time she showed affection to me, every time that she was being a great girlfriend to me, I would never remember those times. I'd only remember the times where she said things that were unclear. I'm like, what does that mean? Oh no, does that mean she's gonna break up with me? And, and then missed calls that I would call her and she maybe wouldn't see it. Instead of being, oh, she's probably busy, I would think, why don't you love me? Like, like that, that's where we go to. Because my fear is paralyzing me and blinding me to all that's really around me. Fearing God most sharpens your senses, where fear of anything else over him blinds your senses. He heightens it. Because listen, if you don't fear God above all, you're not actively pursuing that, you'll date someone you shouldn't because better that than being alone. If you don't fear God above all, you won't marry someone you should because better to be apart than the commitment of marriage. But knowing God through his word and knowing his love is better than all of life you can say, if he wants me to be married, he'll provide for me. I don't have to settle. If he, if he wants me to be married and he's given me someone to marry, I can trust him and not be fearful about the future of what this means. Or if he's called me to singleness, I can know that there's purpose and promise and presence in it for me. I don't have to fear. Why? Because in all of it, we're most concerned with having him and not losing him. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of all knowledge. And you can't have uh, discernment without knowledge. So know God first. Second, know self. Know yourself. Romans 12, three. For by the grace given to me, I tell everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he should think. Instead, think sensibly as God has distributed a measure of faith to each one. So you need to know yourself if you're ever gonna know who and how to date. Before you're worried about them, know who you are. Paul says in this text, it's fascinating, he says after Romans 1 through 11 is the greatest articulation of the gospel, one of his first applications is to not have a view of yourself too high or too low. He says, think about yourself soberly, about who you really are. The gospel of Jesus, again, if, and if you're not a Christian and you're here, I'm really glad that you're here. The gospel of Jesus Christ has this really fascinating way of freeing you up to be more like you. And freeing you up to be more like you who looks more like Jesus. And the more you look like Jesus, you find yourself feeling more comfortable being who God made you to be. And so you don't have to, pre to pretend that you're someone you're not, nor do you have to be ashamed of who you are. Because what? Jesus died and loved you. He knew all that. One of the best things about Jesus dying for you is how well he knew you when he died for you. All your strengths, all your weaknesses, all your failures, all your dreams, he knows all of that. God loves you. Jesus died for you and all that that means. So you need to know yourself if you're gonna know how to date other people. Now, when it comes to knowing yourself, I can probably, some of you are already thinking, here comes the Enneagram sermon. Like you can already feel your desire for it. 
like Myers-Briggs or spiritual gifts. And you're, if you're here going, what's the Enneagram? Uh, sort of like uh, CrossFit. It's a little culty, little culty, but could be helpful, right? Um, <laughs> um, I'm a 10 on the Enneagram. I don't exist in it. Um, some of you are like, he's definitely this number. Um, Here's what I mean. So all the personality things are helpful, but here's what I'll tell you when it comes to dating. Know yourself, listen, know yourself well enough to know your convictions and what you're open-handed about. Know yourself well enough to know what am I convinced of and what am I open-handed about. And, and know why you have them. Know why you have them. Best thing about the Christian faith, it can be investigated. Stand up to, to reason and questions. So investigate why you believe what you believe. Convictions, open hand, know why. And l- let's just assume for the sake of argument that in, in your close hand, if you're a Christian, is baseline Orthodox Christianity stuff. The Bible's the word of God, Jesus rose from the dead, like basic Orthodox Christian beliefs. But also know those convictions that are specific to you. Know the convictions that are, that are specific to you. Are you convicted, are you convinced that adoption needs to be a part of your family one day? Know that. Are you convinced that you have to move overseas to love the nations? Know that. Do you know you're going into medicine? All the things that maybe there's things you feel compelled, you feel convicted to do, will know that about yourself. And in this this section about being convicted towards certain things, I wanna talk briefly about your physical and emotional attraction to other people. You need to know the things that maybe you never even articulated, the, the convictions, the desires that you want a potential spouse to have. The physical attributes, the emotional attributes that deep down you're kind of convinced, unless they have this, then I don't want to waste my time. Now listen, you should enjoy the person that you're dating, okay? Now listen, you won't enjoy them the same every day. It's getting ready for marriage. It's kind of like that, right? Not every day is the same, but generally I enjoy you. (laughs) Oh gosh, Lauren's not in here. Um... That's how she feels towards me. I I love her a lot. So you should be attracted to the person. It's a good thing. But will it wax and wane sometimes? Absolutely. But it should be a general thing when you're dating someone. Those are good things. But here's what I need you to know. Know why you're attracted to someone and why you're not. Okay? Here's why I say this. It's so easy to have these fantasy worlds in your mind to begin to become expectations of people in real life that no one can live up to. So for instance, all of us are affected by this, some of us more than others, but all of us are affected by this about when it comes to physical attraction and expectations we have of other people. You have expectations of the physical attraction of the person that you want to date, not because you understand beauty and you have looked at ancient art and studied concepts of beauty across different cultures. You haven't read any of those books, right? No, to be honest, all of us in the pornographic culture that we live in, all of us are influenced by that and how we view men and women. And especially, and I know for some of you, for so many of you, pornography is such a sense of shame, both men and women in here, I know that. Know that you're forgiven and there's grace for you every time. But know that that is influencing the way you view men and women. It's making you think this is what the norm should be. And it's gonna hurt your dating relationships if you don't know how and why it's affecting you. The same is true for emotional attraction. Some of us have these expectations, not because, not because you're so deep, right? 
But because you have these, this entertainment sort of grid of what you expect intimacy to feel like. And every time it's not incredible, something must be wrong. That's a fantasy world coming into reality and not knowing how to interpret what's going on. I'll never forget, I was watching a movie with the guy. I'm watching this movie and the guy told me, he literally said this. He said, that girl is my dream girl. So I was like, oh, like the actress? He said, no, the character. The person who doesn't exist is your dream girl? That's gonna be tough to replicate, you know? She doesn't have a, no other woman has the script and editors helping her look like that, right? But that's the expectation that he was bringing to real people. You need to know your convictions, know what's driving you. And sometimes your convictions are not convictions, they're preferences you need to let go. So also know what you're open-handed about. And let me say this about, about this. Other than God and his word, other than, so hold tight to God and his word, but everything else, honestly, be more open-handed. Be more open-handed. You don't know your future, and so often in dating, we make decisions like we do. I'll never forget in college, a girl broke up with me because she felt called to Russia. And I was like, I'm losing to Russia right now? This is tough, right? Have you been to Russia? Dang, okay. Did she ever go to Russia? No, she never went to Russia. But in her mind, now I'm happy the way God worked it out, right? But in her mind, she knew what she was gonna do. But really, she should have just said, I don't like you. Would that have been harder to hear? At least I didn't lose to Russia in that scenario, right? Like, you don't know your future the way you think that you do. So, so, even if someone isn't your type, even if someone is not what you expected, even if someone sees certain things differently than you, listen, if they love Jesus, and they make you love Jesus more, and you find yourself drawn to them, be open to God doing something different than you expected. Be open. So many married couples have that story of, at first I was like, no way, right? But they're open to something different. Or, or, you can wait and say, no, I want someone who's taller than me, funnier than me, richer than me, fitter than me. You can have those convictions, then just know why you're waiting so long, right? Because that person either doesn't exist or they didn't pick you, right? Like, so, <laughs> know yourself, second point. All right, third, that's a good way to end it. Third, third, know them. Know the person that you're attempting to date. Okay, this verse is gonna seem strange at first, but say, say with me. First Timothy 5, 22 says, don't be too quick to appoint anyone as an elder and don't share in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure, verse 24. Some people's sins are obvious, preceding them to judgment, but the sins of others surface later. Likewise, good works are obvious and those that are not obvious cannot remain hidden. This text is all about how to appoint leaders of the church because the church is Jesus' bride. It's Jesus' bride is what the church is. And so he's saying, leaders of this church, you need to be very, very slow and be very, very observant. What, why? His point in this, in that text is, it takes time, it takes time to truly know the good and bad about someone. It takes time. Because some people at first appear great. And over time they prove to be something different. And other times they appear awful. And they prove to be something different. 
He's saying, be slow in laying on of hands. Be slow in giving your heart away to these people, giving the church away to these people. And I think the idea of, of the way Jesus thinks about his bride and the way he thinks about marriage between Jesus and his church, I think is a helpful principle for us when we think about dating and who we could potentially marry and give our lives to. So here's the principle. In dating, be slow to give your heart away until you've observed their lives. Be observant. The genuineness of their faith, their strengths, their weaknesses, all of that, I'm telling you, will come out more clearly over time. So when you're dating someone, let their lives be the measurement of their character, not their pronouncements. Not their pronouncements. Not do they plan to read their Bible or plan to pray or plan to go to work or plan to apologize or plan to be generous. No, do they actually do it? Do they actually do it? Now listen, measure their lives for their character, but not if they do it perfectly. So it's, do you see them doing it? Not, do you see them doing it perfectly? Don't have too low a standard that anyone can meet, but don't have too high a standard that not even you could meet if someone were assessing you. When it comes to dating, and especially, honestly, the younger you are, because the younger you are, the less you really know yourself, Right, like so much of, of us, for, for many in this room, your 20s and some of your 30s, it's really you who you figure out who you are. And so the younger you are, it's harder to know yourself and harder for them to know themselves in the ways that they will in the future. So measure it in trajectory, not perfection. In trajectory, do you see them moving? Because people are messy, You're me- you are messy. So do you see them moving in a direction of godliness? Do you see them moving towards Jesus? Not perfectly, but in the direction, not distance. Because I know for me, I needed this from Lauren almost, I mean, more than anyone. I became a Christian at 18, and in college, I was a mess of a person. I was a Christian, but I was a mess. And, I remember, and so much so, Jimmy McNeil, who actually leads worship at our West Congregation, um, he and I knew each other in college. He actually just got ordained as an elder. And um, we were friends in college and played intramural football together, and he knew me from afar, and about four or five years ago, I think I preached a sermon or something happened where Jimmy was trying, he wanted to encourage me. He said, Tyler, I man, it's unbelievable how God is using you. And I could feel like the, the butt is coming. He's like, but, you know, I could feel that the other shoe about to drop. He said, it's incredible how God's using you because in college, bro, I didn't think you were even a Christian. And I was like, I see that, I get that. Because from a distance, I mean, all I was was brash and arrogant and undisciplined and I listened to nobody. I'm so different now. Um, <laughs> Lauren, so that's what people from afar saw me as, really did. But Lauren got to know me, and she got to see me striving towards Jesus, even though it was messy. She got to see me fighting sin and lamenting it. She got to see me working towards Christian friendships and reading the scriptures. She got to see me reading theology and having a genuine love for Jesus. She got to know who I really was even though it wasn't apparent to everyone else. I tell people all the time, and Lauren, when she met me, I was a barren West Texas oil field with nothing on the surface, just tumbleweeds and nothing. But deep, 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 deep down, there was some oil down there, right? And Lauren bought low, right? She bought low and she was banking on, come on, Jesus, let's go, right? Now, some of you are like, see, I'm like an oil field, maybe, okay? Let's get to know you first, right? but you need to know the person you're dating. Observe their life. Listen, ask the person you're dating questions. 
Ask them questions about their life and what they think. Ask them about the relationship with God. And listen, sometimes they won't have a good answer because they're in a tough season or they don't know how to articulate it. But if they never have a good answer, that may mean there's less substance there than you think. And if you're here and, and you're dating people and you know there's no relationship with God, but you're acting like there is, you can save everybody if you'll just be honest. Because there's grace for all of us, which is amazing. So know the person you're dating. I'll give you one thing to look for and we'll move on to the next one. One thing to look for, do you see them confess and repent of their sin to God and believe the gospel for them? Like, do you see them say, when God's word says it's right or wrong, he's right, I own up to it, I'm wrong, I need his mercy, I need his grace and Jesus alone leads to life. Because hear me, please, if they struggle to say sorry to God, they'll probably struggle to say sorry to you. Just so you know. If they can't say sorry to God, do you think they'll be able to say sorry to you when they hurt you and they don't really see it? Because, listen, Christians struggle with sin like everybody else. The difference between us and the world is not that we're always so much better. It's that we repent and believe the gospel. And that's the most consistent discipline of a Christian throughout their life, of a sincere believer. The most consistent thing they'll do is confess sin, I'm wrong, and I receive grace for that. That's the thing you should look for in the person that you're dating. Know them. And lastly, fourth, know others. Know others. This one's a lot quicker. Proverbs 12, 15. A fool's way is right in his own eyes, but whoever listens to counsel is wise. This is short, but listen, other people should speak into your dating relationships. Listen, fools don't listen. Fools don't listen to anyone. Fools say, no one gets our love, baby. Yes, we do, right? You're not that unique, right? You think you're the first person who's dating someone they shouldn't? Like, we, listen, fools don't listen. But what do the wise do? They listen to counsel and particularly Ask people to speak into your dating relationships who know God, know you, and know the person you're dating. Find people who know God, know you, and know the person you're dating, and then please listen to them. Please listen to them. It says, now listen, whoever listens to counsel, not listens to everyone. Some people have opinions that are wrong and stupid and ignore them, right? But listen to counsel of people who know God, know you, know the other person. And this is why God gave you the church. Nobody in here, nobody has all the wisdom they need. That's why he gave you a people you belong to. Collectively in this room, God has given so much wisdom. And the wisdom you need to listen to most, hear me, is the truth that stings. That's when you should pay attention the most. Because listen, if, if you... Hear, only hear things that are pleasant to you, then you'll never be able to see your blind spots. And the proverb says, faithful are the wounds of a friend. The best friend sometimes will tell you the hard things that you'll be happy over time someone said it. So know God, know self, know them, know others. Now you're thinking, you're like, but it doesn't answer all my questions. That's not what the Bible does. It doesn't answer every specific question. It's retraining the way you see the world. It's giving you not the framework of all the land. It's giving you new, new glasses to see everything through. Romans 12, one through two. At the end of Paul's description of the gospel, he says, therefore, brothers and sisters, 
In view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. It says, do not be conformed to this age. The church in every age and society she's in will always be, the, the, the people that are around are gonna try to conform them to their image, not God's. And he says, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may what? Discern. Discern. So you could date in a way that is good and pleasing and perfect according to the will of God. The Bible doesn't always make the decision for you, but the Bible gives you clarity to know the decision you're making. Here's the best thing. Parameters, principles, last thing, hope. And the Bible gives you hope in the midst of all of it. Can can I just tell you this? The hope for your life that God has for you is not a couple of steps in singleness. Not a couple of how-tos in dating or a couple of how-tos in marriage. Because listen, every group of people has tips on how to live your life. Christianity is not unique in that way. Everyone has proverbs and tips of how to live. And the tough part about life in a broken world is you can make all the wise decisions and things still go wrong. If you're newer to the faith or younger, I need you to understand that. Don't think people whose lives are gonna look like the way that you want them to, don't think it's because they made all the right decisions. That's anti to the gospel we believe. The gospel is I did nothing right and I got all the blessing. So don't think if I do everything right, that means it'll always go the way that I want. There are plenty of people in this room who have made wise decisions and only gotten suffering. Jesus is the preeminent example. Perfect life of wisdom. And he still suffered at the hands of other people. Because the hope, the, the unique thing about the Christian witness when it comes to dating, everyone has tips. But the hope that we have, that makes us utterly unique. And if you don't understand this, you don't get Christianity. The hope is that Jesus is with us in all of it. That really is the hope for us. What makes us different is not that we have ways to live your life. It really is. We have the hope that in everything, the love of God in Christ Jesus is mine. And by the Holy Spirit, he is with me everywhere I go. Singleness is only a gift if Jesus is there. Marriage is only a gift if Jesus is there. Dating is only a gift and everything in life is just made richer and fuller if Jesus is in the center of it. That's the hope of someone who's tasted and seen that God is good. And if you don't know that, then I don't think you've known what it means to be loved by God yet. Because there's something about knowing he's there when you know he loves you, that it'll be enough. Most of the nights um, before my kids go to bed, we pray three things with them. And we're trying to teach them how to pray and get their whole day before God. It's always, what are you grateful for? What are you sorry for? And what do you need help with? Grateful for, sorry for, for, what do you need help with? And each time they pray something, they, like, you know, Eliza will always say, I'm thankful for mommy. I'm like, what about daddy? She's like, I said mommy, right? She, she, she's like, no, nah, I'm not thankful for you. Um, you yelled at me earlier. I was like, fair enough. But when they pray these things, we always say, what did God say? And when, he's, you, when you say what you're grateful for, he always says, you're welcome. Say what you're sorry for, he always says, I forgive you and I love you. And on the third one, when, you ask what, when he says, when you want help with, he always says, I'll be with you. And I'm trying to train their hearts to know, you're gonna ask God to help you with things and he will not always tell you what he's up to. He is always up, listen, he's always up to one million more things than you're aware of. Always. And he won't always tell you, but he always tells you, 
I will always be with you. And if you know his love, your heart will go, then that's enough. Because of all the things, think of all the things Jesus could have told his disciples, his church, before he ascends into heaven. Think about all the things he could have said. And the way the gospel of Matthew ends, this is the last thing he says. Remember, remember, I am with you always, always. To the end of the age, I'll be with you. When you don't want to be single, when you don't want to be married, when you don't want to be in this dating relationship, in the highs and the lows, his promise to you is not that you'll know everything to do or the things that won't be confusing. That's not the hope of the Christian faith. The hope is this. If he'll be with me, then I'll be okay. Let's pray together. Father, the amount of relationships and questions and quandaries and hurts and dreams and joys and in this room represented God, the only one who could sift through all of it and care for all of it and discern through all of it, God is you. Holy Spirit, you're the only one who could mend our hearts and steer our hearts and show us what's true. And so God, we need you to give us hope in the midst of all the things you brought before us. God, we need you to give us faith to walk in the wisdom you've laid out in your word. So God, for the singles in this room, God, particularly those who are single and don't want to be, God, would you be near to them and remind them that you do not trivialize the way they feel, that you're with them in the midst of it and you have good things planned for them. For the singles in the room who are content and happy in their calling, God, would you fan that into flame? Would they show us what it looks like to display the gospel in their singleness? God, for the dating in this room, God, those who are hurt, who have been broken up with, who are sorrowful just thinking about it, God, remind us that, Jesus, you weep with those who weep. And that for the dating relationships in this room, God, that are causing flourishing and life, God, would you do more of that? And God, for those in this room that are dysfunctional and broken, would you help us have the courage to follow you into the unknown and not settle? Because, God, you're with us. And, God, for all the marriages in here, God, for the marriages where people, if they were honest, would say they wish they weren't in it. For the marriages that are happy and all the in-between, God, would you remind us of your covenant love for your people that the point of marriage is to display an unbreakable, never-giving-up, unstoppable love you have for your people. God, in all these relationships, God, I want us to be different in the way we hope in you in the midst of them. I want us to be different in the way that we know no, no sin of ours can outrun your grace. No decision of ours defines our future. Jesus, you define our future. Your decision to come after us, that is what defines us. And so God, in your kindness, you give gifts that we don't deserve. And in your mysterious providence, you give us difficult challenges that in glory one day we'll see you were working good and we couldn't see it. But in all of it, Jesus, you are with me. You are with us to the end of the age. That's why we can sing no matter what. That's why we can follow you no matter what. It's because you hold on to us even when we let go of you. Help us sing now. We pray that in Christ's name.
Amen. Amen. Church, let's stand. Let's sing together.